0: Good evening. It's time to begin our services. We'll open up with a song, uh, number 37, Angry Words.
1: Angry words.
0: David oh your turn
2: good evening sorry I was counting at the time. <laughs> A couple announcements um, before Chris gives us our lesson. As a reminder, Young at Heart is scheduled for Tuesday, June 15th at 10 a.m. If you're wanting to go to that, there's a sign-up sheet on the four-year board. We're heading to Big Boy, and um, we'd love to have you. Also, volunteers are uh, needing for mowing the grass here at the building. Uh, The lawnmower is provided, the weed eater, all the gas, everything you need in order to cut the grass here is all provided If you're interested in that, please see, James is not here, so you can can see me. Um, If you're interested in helping cut the grass, I can show you where to cut and and the property line. Updates on our prayers. Remember, continue to keep Jennifer Ward in your prayers. Uh, She's now at home recovering from her knee replacement. Also, Yvonne Cornell, uh, Connie just told me that she uh, may be able to get to come home this week. So that's great news. Remember, continue to keep her in her prayers, so if you're wanting to go visit her or send a card uh, to the uh, to Heritage Care Center, you may want to call first before doing that because she may be home. Also, remember uh, Martha Boso and Charlie Boso in your prayers. And Elwes Hayes fell uh, this past week and uh, broke some bones. Um, she's having a hard time right now, but if you can send her Eloise Hayes, a card. I know she'd greatly appreciate that and love, love a card. Uh, that's all the announcements I have at this time. Um, this is different. Most of the time we do this at the end. So right, let's just go to God in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for all the many blessings you give us. Lord, we're so thankful for this opportunity this Sunday to worship you, to sing praises to you, to to, to look to you for strength and guidance in our lives, Lord. Lord, we ask you to continue to, to be with our elders here, Lord, and the decisions they make, Lord, and, Lord, and continue to be with our youth here at Rome. Let us continue growing spiritually. Let us always look to your word for strength and guidance in our own lives, Lord. Lord, we ask you this time to be with us now. Watch over us and continue to be with our country and its leaders. Forgive us, Lord, when we do fall short. In Jesus Christ's name we do pray. Amen.
0: Our next song be number 438. My hope is built on nothing less.
1: (coughs) My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness.
0: next song will be number 720. Watch and pray. Sing just the first and last verse of this
1: song. Watch and pray for the Lord is coming, coming in the clouds
0: invitation song will be number 61. Are you coming to Jesus' night? Number 61.
3: Good evening. It's good to see each one of you back with us tonight. We are uh, doing a little something maybe a little bit different this month. Um, It hit me a couple of uh, days ago, earlier this week, I guess, earlier last week, that uh, the world is celebrating uh, June as Pride Month. So I thought, man, we need to talk about that because that's something we're dealing with. <laughs> so we are going to talk about that. Um, so here we are. In some time tonight in Genesis chapter 6. And we're going to look at the story of Noah. We're just going to kind of set the foundation for uh, for this, uh, this short series of lessons. And uh, we'll try to derive something out of this that will be beneficial for us as we struggle to meet our culture where it's at and speak authoritatively, speak scripturally uh, back to to a culture that is very quickly becoming more and more anti-God. So, I just wanted to talk to you tonight about Noah's story. I know you know Noah's story, but if you've never dug down deep into the specifics of the ark and the flood and the events that are surrounding Genesis, Genesis 6 through 9... Uh, you need to do some digging there because there's some some things in this story that you need to know a little bit more about, especially as we think about how judgment is coming. Um, that That's kind of the byword for tonight's lesson. Judgment is coming. You don't get to mock God and get away with it. That's the verse that uh, Jason uh, was, was reading for us tonight. It's Galatians 6, uh, 7, and 8. And That text references this idea that you don 't get to live your own life, not submit to God, do whatever you want to do, and there not be repercussions for that type of lifestyle. Uh, he talks about a man that goes out and he sows seed in his field and uh, Whatever the man sowed, if he sowed corn, then corn comes up. And whatever he sowed, if he sowed beans, beans come up. Whatever you sow, you're also going to reap that. So that's something we need to be aware of. God is not mocked, is the way Paul would phrase that there in Galatians chapter 6. And So that's, that's a thought that I can't get out of my head um, as as we think about what, This month stands for for so much of our country, Um, so many of our friends, so many of our neighbors. As as we think about all those things, the verse that keeps resounding in my mind is, God is not mocked. You don't get to do and live however you would like to live and just get away with it scot-free. There are consequences for how we live and what we do here. The flood is the penultimate example of that, I suppose. So if you've got your Bibles, be turning to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6. Let's meet Noah. I'm sure that you are familiar with this story. But I wanted to go through maybe some of the specifics that maybe you haven't thought through uh, as of yet. The ark is huge. Go back through and do the math on it yourself. We're not exactly sure what a cubit is, uh, especially during Noah's day common um, knowledge is that a cubit is the the length from the tip of your finger to to your elbow it's about 18 inches but over the span of Israel's history it was a little bit longer and a little bit uh, shorter over different time spans but somewhere around 18 inches if you've ever been to see the ark in Kentucky you kind of get an idea, a pretty good idea right of how vast this thing is, it is enormous this is a picture of our last family vacation uh, we took pre-COVID, obviously, no masks. Everybody's bunched up. It just makes people feel icky now, doesn't it? <laughs> but, uh, so we had a great trip, but you, you kind of get the impression that this, this arc is just huge. And you, don't, you can't really grasp that on paper. So go see, go see this thing and just kind of experience how, how vast the arc is, how, how massive it is. You could have fit 20 basketball courts on its top deck. It's just huge. It's as long as one and a half football fields. It's 45 feet tall. It's as tall as a five-story building. Uh, It is just enormous. God spoke to Noah telling him to build this boat when he had never even seen rain. He was a youngster at 480 years old. Uh, If I'm doing the math right, go back 120 years Noah seems to be somewhere around 480 years old when God tells him to build this boat because judgment is coming. Noah had never seen rain. Up until this point, judgment had not come. Uh, God had spoke to man in the garden, and then after the fall, after Adam and Eve refused to submit to God with the eating of the of the, the fruit, they were kicked out. Judgment came in that respect but overall, as as a world, judgment had not come. And I wonder if it had even been spoken of. Um, we're not told the specifics there. But here, he starts speaking about judgment. There will be consequences for how they lived their lives, the things that they did. Genesis, In, in Genesis, here in chapter 6, Moses tells us that, Every thought everyone had was evil all the time. You can't think that. You can't live that way and get away with it. God is not mocked. It doesn't work like that. Judgment comes. Whether we want to admit it or not, whether we are comfortable with it or not, judgment is coming. Both here in Genesis 6 and For us, this isn't the last time God judges the world. In fact, this is the first time He's going to judge the world. Look over in Genesis chapter uh, seven, verse eleven. This this will um, change the way that you view the flood in your mind when you walk into a when when I try to start studying a passage like this. I want it to come to life. I want to know everything I can know about it. And so I'll pull all the threads. i follow all the breadcrumbs we were talking about this morning. At least you try to. Um, And then as you read the story again, you find more strings to pull and more breadcrumbs to follow. But here's one that you may have missed over over the time. Genesis chapter 7, verse 11. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, On that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth and the windows of the heavens were opened. In verse 12, and rain fell upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. That's the part that we tell our children in VBS, right? That's the part of the story that we memorize. That's the trivia part that we memorize. Well, how long did it rain? Well, it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. But did you miss that little part that he mentioned in verse 11? God started ripping open the earth and there were vast quantities of water underneath the earth. And when he opened them up, the water started spewing from the bottom as well as raining from the top. So this event would have been horrendous just from the very outset. Don't mention anything that happened after that. Just just the beginning, that first day, must have been horrific for the people that were experiencing it. Look at, back at chapter 6, notice verse 13. (coughs) Excuse me. God is doing something interesting here with the flood. And God said to Noah, in verse 13, Genesis chapter 6, verse 13, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. You see what he does there? He says, you've done violence to the earth, I'm going to make the earth do violence to you. It's tit for tat. He, he, he's, he's repaying evil for evil here. But even deeper than that, he is in the, the mode here in Genesis 6 through 9 of deconstructing his creation. Do you remember in Genesis 1 when God had created things? Do you remember what he said? He looked at it and he said something, right? It is, it's good. And he looked at mankind and he said, you are very good. But now, mankind is very bad. And, and things are, are bad. And so he starts this work of decreating, of uncreating. Look what he says in, uh, in verse 12. Chapter 6, verse 12. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was not good, but corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. Verse nineteen, uh, God starts bringing the animals to uh, Noah as He did to Adam, just centuries earlier. The expanse in in uh, verse in chapter one, verse six, God separated the waters of the expanse. Uh, now all of that has been re- has been rejoined in uh, chapter seven, verse eleven, when the fountains of the deep from the from below, meet the rains coming down from above. He also uses an interesting word here in Hebrew uh, when he says prevailed. He uses it four different times. Once in 718, once in 719, then in 720, and then again in 724. The Hebrew word there is gabar. gabar. It's used elsewhere in, in the Old Testament as a military term. And so it looks like Moses is saying that the floodwaters acted as the army of the Lord, dispensing His judgment and His justice and His punishment on a corrupted planet. Judgment. It, it, it's coming. It's here in Noah's day. They could not live the way that they were living. They could not mock God and and not have consequences to pay. The flood was the consequences. It was the first judgment that God gave because of an entire world's worth of sin. They were in the ark for almost a year. Maybe you weren't aware of that. Maybe you were thinking, you know, it rained for 40 days and 40 nights, and so on the 41st day, they just got out of the ark. Well, they were in the ark for about a year, almost a year, <clears throat> and then 40 more days later, Noah starts sending out uh, birds. It's uh, something even uh, seafaring people in his day uh, would have done to uh, to find land. Finally, the last bird doesn't come back. You guys know this story. Finally, Noah and his family are able to leave the ark. Noah makes sacrifices, and God made a promise, never destroy the world again with water. And that symbol would remind us that he would keep his promise, Right? The rainbow that's been absconded with, hasn't it? It's been stolen. It's unfathomable to me that a sign of God's judgment has been used to indicate no judgment. Stop thinking about it for a second. What does the rainbow symbolize? To those of us who believe, it symbolizes that God could not forbear with people. He refused to allow sin to remain without consequence. And so, He judged the entire world, and He flooded it. That's... One of the things that the rainbow tells to those of us who believe, right? That he's being patient right now, but there's judgment coming again, right? Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Flip your Bibles over there. 2 Peter chapter 3. Let's listen to what Peter has to say on this topic. 2 Peter chapter 3. Verse nine, most of Second Peter three is about the second coming. Peter wants to clarify a point for us here because some people in his day, as well as a great many people in our own day, have made a mistake in considering how God has forestalled his judgment. Second Peter chapter three, verse nine he says. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promises. Some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So He's slow. He doesn't want to judge. He doesn't want to condemn. But if we remain in our sins, He will judge. He will condemn. He will be forced to, Two, Just as he was in the days of Noah, forced to judge, forced to condemn, forced to punish. Because a righteous God cannot be in relationship with sinful people. That's the story of Scripture. From beginning to end, a righteous God cannot be in relationship with sinful people. And so he has, on purpose, obviously, he doesn't do anything accidentally, he has intentionally put himself in a bind. He wants to have relationship with us. It is, in fact, his greatest desire to have relationship with us. So much so that he was willing to sacrifice himself To make that relationship possible. Does he hate sin? Absolutely. Will he overlook it? Not forever. This is what the story of the flood teaches us, right? He's being patient. But soon that patience will run out. Like we talked about this morning in the book of Hosea, and then in Bible class this morning at 9.30. that was good to be back in Bible class, wasn't it? I spoke really fast because I was really excited. I may have to go back through and do all that lesson again so everybody can understand what I said. But I'm trying to go slower tonight. Um, but like we talked about with Hosea and Amos, these people in ancient Israel refused to submit. They they were doing what they wanted to do and nothing God said, no prophet, no words, no actions. And he gets incredibly inventive in the Old Testament with Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Isaiah and Amos and Isaiah, all these guys, incredibly inventive with their proclamations against sin. Nothing he does brings them back. So what's he do? Well, eventually, you saw this morning Hosea 4, 6, he cuts them off. He says, you're not my people anymore. I'm not going to listen when you pray. I'm not going to be pleased with your sacrifices. Nothing you can do will appease my wrath at this point. That's where they were at in the flood. Nothing they could do had they wanted to would have appeased his wrath. They had come to a point of no return. And in Hosea and Amos's day, in Isaiah's day, they were not his people anymore. He was not going to have mercy. That's where we're at in, in in the days of the flood. He had been patient. We don't know how long, how many years, how many centuries there was in between the the the, the creation and this moment in the flood. You can guess. You can go back and Do the ages of people, and you can kind of come up with a a round figure. Uh, they're, They're about kind of a ballpark figure. We don't know exactly, but during that time period, he was slow to anger, right? We've talked before about his steadfast love. He doesn't want to punish. It's almost against his nature, you could say, to punish. He doesn't want to but he will. And that's a fact we cannot get over. That's a fact we, we must not get over. And it's, I think it's a fact that our culture has glazed over. and We just cannot let go of that. You would think a, a lot of people... I, I've had these conversations with folks. I'm sure you have too. Um... Where people would say, well, why don't you just leave me alone and I'll leave you alone and we'll just get along together. Like, it's not kind of me to see you sprinting toward a cliff and not say something. If you saw your neighbor in a, and their house was on fire and they're inside sipping tea, would you not knock on the windows Would you not beat on their door and say, hey, come on, what are you you doing? Get out of the house. What's the kind thing to do? What's the humane thing to do? What's the reasonable thing to do there? The logical thing to do is to beat on the door, to do everything in your power, to say, hey, you need help. You you can't see it from this side maybe, but your house is on fire. Judgment's coming. The kind thing to do for us is not to ignore it, is not to overlook it. Judgment is coming. And if the flood teaches us anything, it is that it will be swift and it will be complete. Total. God is not mocked. He doesn't want to punish, but He will. He's even slow. He's patient. He's slow to, how's Peter put it? Slow Uh, towards you, not wanting that anyone should perish. His desire is that you come to Him. He doesn't want robots, right? He doesn't want uh, people who who just pay Him lip service. He doesn't want that. And that's one of the reasons, that's the reason, in Revelation chapter 3, when you meet the Laodicean church, who are just paying lip service to Him, He says, I'll spew you out of my mouth. I I don't want that. God doesn't ever want just lip service. He wants your heart. He wants complete devotion to Him. And so He's slow toward us, wanting all of us to come to Him. Not wanting anyone to perish, but judgment will come. Turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews speaks an awful lot about this idea because the the Hebrew churches that this writer is writing to are going back at least they're tempted to go back into Judaism. And you've got to think that these people are tempted to do that because of the persecution that they're enduring as Christians. Um, the Jews had certain rights under uh, the Roman law. They were protected in some respects. But the Christians are not. And it doesn't take very long before this uprising sect known as Christianity becomes Rome's pincushion. They start throwing arrows at it. And they make a distinction between the Jews and the Christians. And so it seems likely that a great many of these Jewish Christians are looking at turning back into Judaism just to stay away from the persecution. If nothing else, to stay away from the persecution from their own brethren. Because the Jews who are remaining faithful to Judaism are persecuting the Christians just like the Romans are. And so these Christians have it coming at them from both sides. They've got the Jews on this side who hate them because they've betrayed the faith. And they've got the Romans on this side who hate them because the Romans think that they're seditionists. They're, they're trying to cause a, a countrywide uproar. And so they're just getting it from both sides. And so the Hebrew writer says, I know it's difficult. You hang in there. You stay faithful. Don't, don't leave. So many of them are tempted to leave. But listen to what he says here in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 31. I want you to pay attention to the way he phrases this, this thought. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, to fall into the hands. He doesn't say to, to step into the hands, but to fall into the hands of the living God. You guys know this, right? What makes you fall? Do you fall intentionally? Of course not, right? Duh. When we were in Africa several years ago, I wasn't watching where I was going. We were walking down uh, this sidewalk, and I turned around to say something to Kelly, I guess, And uh, I I tripped, and I fell off of the sidewalk down into this, like, four-foot hole. And I got up, and everybody was, oh, are you okay? Are you okay? And I was like, no, I'm not. I'm hurt. Um, Scrapes and bruises, but you don't intend to fall, right? These people, the Hebrew writer says, you're not paying attention, and you're going to fall, an accidental move. You're going to fall into the hands of the living God. There are an awful lot of people that are celebrating. I saw some uh, billboards in West Virginia oh, when I went, when we went to Walmart a couple days ago that are celebrating something that ought not be celebrated. Right? They don't know that judgment's coming. Or if they do know, they stopped caring. It's our responsibility To tell them judgment's coming. To remind them, gently remind them, lovingly remind them, right? Lovingly remind them that judgment is coming, that He will not forestall His punishment forever. The symbol of the rainbow that they're so proud of is a symbol that we were proud of first, right? It's a symbol that God was given to His people first. And it indicated a couple of things. One, that he's never going to flood the earth again, right? But by implication that, he judges sin. It's kind of been turned into an ironic symbol now, hasn't it? Rainbow indicates that he's going and has judged sin. but he's being patient now toward us. Because he doesn't want to. He wants people to come to Him. It's our job to tell them. Right? That's our responsibility. To go out and tell them that judgment's coming. That He doesn't want to punish them. But that He will. And they need to submit to Him. Do things His way. Stay away from sin. That's what the rainbow means. In my head and every time I see it, and it doesn't really matter the words that are attached. <laughs> I'm trying to be careful because of little ears. <laughs> I'm aware. It doesn't matter the implication that is given to the rainbow. To a Christian, we see... God judged sin once, and He's promised to do so again. Judgment is coming. And it's my responsibility to lovingly and tenderly, kindly tell you do not live like this. Run from the judgment that is about to come. And the only safe place you can run to is Christ. There is nowhere else on earth that will be safe. Revelation pictures the day of judgment in these horrifying terms. He says, when He comes back, there's going to be people who run into caves and try to hide under rocks looking for a safe place to be, but there's not going to be a safe place because the only safe place is inside of Christ. Christ. You get inside of Christ by having your sins washed away. Putting Him on in baptism. Doing away with sin. Not just putting it on the back burner. Not just ignoring it, but killing it. Paul would say in Galatians 2.20, and he's been crucified with Christ. That's his outlook. That's his worldview. That's the way he looks at his life now. But it's also an indication of what he's done to his sin. He's killed it. He sacrificed his sin, all the things that he used to do that were sinful. He sacrificed those things to Christ now, and now he's doing Jesus' work. Right? Some of us have been a little too busy with the work of sin to fit into, to fit Jesus' work into our calendars. Judgment is coming. We have to tell people, we have to be aware of that ourselves. Tonight, if you haven't been baptized, that's the only way to get right with Him. To become righteous. To have your sins washed away. To match up to that standard that we talked about this morning that Christ sets out. Maybe you've already made that decision tonight. And you just need the prayers of this congregation to live in a world that is corrupt and is dying and is decaying from the inside out. Being light in that kind of culture is difficult being who we ought to be in that type of culture is difficult but it is who we were called to be it's who we said we would be at our baptism and so if you've fallen short of that tough ideal we want to help you in any way we can will not you come as we stand and sing
1: the voice of the Savior says Oh,
0: No, now, I totally messed it all up tonight. So. Um, let's, uh, the Lord's table is still prepared for anybody who wasn't able to take up this morning. If you want to go over there while we sing one last song, we'll sing just the first verse of Amazing Grace, which is number 36 in the book. I forgot to put it on the overhead. But we'll sing that, and after which we'll be dismissed in prayer. Amazing Grace, number 36.
3: you join me in prayer dear lord thank you for the stage you blessed us with today you are so holy and amazing in our lives lord thank you for allowing us to come together today and worship you how you've always intended us to lord thank you for the beautiful day that you've given us the blue skies and the sunshine and everything lord pray that you will continue to be with all those who are on the prayer list lord and be with uh jennifer ward the the Boso family and yvonne cornell and all the others that are on the prayer list lord pray that you'll give them the healing and comfort that they and their families need. Lord, I thank you for everything that you've blessed us with. Uh, thank you for, most of all, for the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross and everything, Lord. Uh, pray that you'll forgive us of our sins and allow us to go on about our weeks encouraged and empowered by you. Thank you for everything you've given us. I ask all this in your son's name. Amen.